Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the Existential Empath Podcast. My name is Tanya and I am an intuitive empath. My intention is to share valuable tips, tools, and techniques that I have learned so you can tap into your own inner healer naturally and intuitively. Welcome back, everyone. Today, I have guest Zach Blakeney. Zach is a self-mastery and consciousness coach, founder of the Conscious Creators community known as C3, and host of the Zach Blakeney YouTube channel. Zach specializes in simplifying complex teachings to make it easy to identify the ego and its limitations. He provides guidance to completely dissolve victimhood so people can be the powerful creators of their own lives. His simple seven rule methodology creates fast and sustainable results that achieve long-term success and personal fulfillment. Welcome, Zach. It's truly a pleasure to have you on the show today. <laughs> Thank you, Tanya. It's an honor to be here. Thank you for the awesome introduction. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, you're, you're an awesome guy. So we had to really show how awesome you are. And so you and I, we're going to be uh, recognizing and reprogramming victim consciousness within our lives. That's what we're going to be diving in today. And so Zach, we are starting to hear the term victim consciousness a lot more in the mainstream world. At least I know I am. I started healing this aspect uh, within myself many years ago, but now I'm beginning to notice it coming up. And so let's first start off with what is victim consciousness and how have we been programmed as a society to play the victim? Yeah, so victim consciousness in a very simple way of saying it is that life is happening to me, not for me, right? So uh, it is the deferment of responsibility. Uh, it is the lack of awareness that you are the creator or the co-creator of your experience. So what I like to say is that victims have been raising victims for generations. So myself growing up, I was raised by victim consciousness. Now, that doesn't mean that they were aware. And again, like what you just said, this is kind of a new terminology that's coming forward. Even the difference between a victim a victimized experience or victim consciousness. But what I've seen in the collective, uh, I would say since, let's say the last 10 years, is that we're undergoing a mass awakening. And this awakening uh, at surface level has us start to question our reality and question ourselves, you know, who we are and our identity. And there's some people that just stay there. 
you know, they shift, they, they start to see maybe things a little bit differently, um, but really they just acquire a new identity and uh, feels if that serves them for a while and it might do so, but you might also find that you're in a constant uh, loop of new identities. Mm -hmm. So there's something deeper. There's something deeper to us uh, as uh, human beings. So if we dive deeper and we start to look at what it could be, we could say that, well, there's something that is in the operations uh, seat or the operator's seat when it comes to uh, this animal that I find myself in. So what is that thing? And that's really when we get into the questions of uh, consciousness or spirituality or uh, God or uh, the observer and psychology. You know, it's just so many different things that people have come forward well, what I believe is, I believe is that we are an expression of God, uh, that we are not separate from God, and that uh, if we think about the teachings of Jesus, uh, Jesus came to teach us this, uh, that the Father and I are not separate. The Father and I are one. Uh, it's just that our religious construct and our understanding of consciousness at the time uh, just shifted God out of the uh, the, the, the seat, yeah. you know, the throne and put Jesus on the throne and said, we can't be this person either, because this is the only expression of God as a human being. Yeah. And I've talked about that on my show. I am that I am and how powerful that is. And mm -hmm. just recognizing that uh, the God within, we are divine beings, right? <laughs> yeah. So the way I like to say it is that if the universe is a thought of God, uh, then inside of this complex thought that everything is an expression of God and that we are all experiencing uh, ourselves and God is experiencing itself, which I hate the word it. I wish we'd come up with a pronoun for God. <laughs> I don't know what that would be, um, but it's experiencing itself through us. Uh, so the way that I describe it to people is that if you had like your a closed fist and this is God and then boom, now you have five fingers and one of them is me, one of them is you, one of them is, you know, my sister, whatever else. Each person is having their own individual experiences, but it's registering back into God experiencing itself infinitely through this universe of what we know it to be. So the reason why I went there when talking about victim consciousness is that ultimately victim consciousness also comes from a place that says that we are separate from the divine, that we are separate from the entity that created us, which the entity is a bad way of saying it as well, but uh, the, that we're separate from our creator. And if we're separate from our creator, then we have no uh, seemingly uh, say, so to speak, in what we create. So once we can come to a place to say, well, wait a second, um, if I am the creator of my experience and if I am in unison or, un or in oneness with the creator itself, uh, then there can be nothing I am victimized by because that puts complete responsibility on myself to say, okay, if I can look through the lens of responsibility and then look back at my past and look at my present and really come from a place of truth, I can see that everything that I have in my life and everything I don't have in my life, I've created. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So this is what the uh, soul knows. This is what your, your, your true essence knows to be true. But your mind, uh, especially your ego mind, is rivaling this. 
um, as you experience the yin and yang inside of yourself, right? the, the two forces uh, inside of yourself. And the whole process of overcoming victim consciousness is realizing the hidden depth of how this is intertwined, not only in uh, your belief system, uh, but also how our societal matrix reinforces that belief system. And if we go even further, how some of the people closest to you, you know, reinforce that belief system. So it's a very difficult thing to transcend. It really is. And it, it doesn't help that we're born into it, you know, but yet I do feel like maybe we signed up for that to experience all that we're experiencing in this third dimensional reality and transcending that and uh, recognizing that we are the God, we are God within. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of people have a different terminology for God. I always say it's like ice cream, right? We have a lot of different flavors, but it's all just ice cream. <laughs> and uh so just recognizing that we have the power within us and many of us have given our power away and mm -hmm. we fall into that, that victimhood, that victim mentality. And these programs can start at a very young age. I know for me, they did at a very young age. And so it wasn't until my late thirties when I started to really wake up to the idea or even the aspect that I was even in victim consciousness. And uh, so Zach, what areas of our lives can or do we play the victim? Yeah, so I do wanna say for a moment with what you said that, I mean, we're all hardwired. Uh, you know, if you think about us as being a computer, you know, a computer program has hardware. Well, our hardware is built uh, majority on victimhood. Uh, you know, again, I can't speak for all seven or 8 billion people at this point, but a lot of us that are millennials came up that way because it's just what was known during the time. And then when you're trying to download a software of, oh, I can create anything I ever want to create. I'm the proper <laughs> experience. Uh, when you download a software into a computer, the computer accepts it and it starts working right away. Uh, when we download software into our being, um, our hardware resists it. So there's resistance to it. And this resistance is characterized by fear. Mm -hmm. So of a lot of victim consciousness is fear as well and like really being attached to these stories of what this is. Which we're seeing on the world stage right now, very drastically. Yeah. So this hidden depth is where we start to, you know, talk about some of these principles that I've co-created. Uh, and I say co-created because I've drawn them from hermetic principles. Uh, I've drawn them from um, my partner, uh, who, you know, I've worked with as well. I've had mentors and everything else to kind of put these things together. And the first one I really want to talk about that's really important is that there are no accidents. So there are no accidents in life. Master Ugwe from Kung Fu Panda was a wise <laughs> turtle. And the reason why I say that is because that's what our mind, uh, our mind likes to argue with reality. And the argument with reality is a form of victimhood. Uh, when we say that we should be somewhere in life other than where we're at, when we move into regret and we say, well, I should have done something different inside of that, we suffer because we're not actually in reality. And so if we can come back to the statement, so well, there are no accidents, life can't be any different than the way it is. And I like to tell people, you can, you can deal with reality. What you can't deal with is the illusion. So a lot of times when I'm working with somebody, I say, well, I should have, you know, left this person earlier. Okay, it's a relationship or something, right? I'm like, okay, well, 
Uh, well, what did you do? Well, I stayed in the relationship. Okay, well, what's more true? And then sometimes they'll still argue that they should have until they go, well, what's more true? What's more true is that I should have. It's like, okay, cool. So now let's start dealing with that. You did what you did. And going back and trying to replay doing something different never works. Mm-hmm. So you were in a different state of consciousness at that time too. Mm-hmm. And then we can look at there are no accidents in the sense of the principle of cause and effect, uh, right? Is there there can't be an accident if there's a cause to an every effect. And this is where people like really start. Oh, depending on who I'm speaking to, how deep it can go. Um, but you know, car accidents, right? We call them accidents. Really, they're not accidents. They're a series of choices of two people that met in an experience based off the choices that were accrued. Or they were created through your thoughts and your emotion. I actually had a, a gal that I knew her daughter was killed in a car accident. And for years before this happened, this is all she worried about was her daughter getting killed in a car accident. And mm-hmm. at the time, you know, this was many years ago, I didn't really recognize that she created created that but now i have a deeper understanding her emotion behind the thought of her daughter getting killed in an accident is what manifested in her physical reality yeah uh, there, there's got to be something as well to the the daughter um you know and I, again i'm not here to say that i know everything but i would imagine that uh, from what i've experienced there's a there's a will mm-hmm. uh, and again will however will is directed is what is created right so uh, in this situation you know, her daughter had her own will. And and also if her mom was uh, essentially telling that fear to her daughter, could have created the daughter to co-create that experience and happen, which is uh, sad to think about. Um, but even more difficult maybe to accept is the co-creation of that experience by the mother. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's been studies that have shown that people, uh, you know, a, a year prior to getting cancer, you know, are, are worried that they're going to get cancer or we're telling themselves that they are getting cancer. Um, there's also been studies that show a direct correlation between uh, suppressed anger and cancer mm-hmm. uh, and how we create that by not being able to balance our emotions. So, so I just like to lean on that first rule for people to start to understand that, like, you know, the, the, there can be no accidents. You are the cause. You know, every effect that you see around you is is an effect of something that you have contributed to, either by allowing the societal matrix to be the way it is and acquiescing to it through indifference, or by creating something that happens in your life, whether it's painful or joyful, it's still coming from your vibration, your source being. Absolutely. And it's, it's your dominant vibration that you're sending out. That is what's creating what you're seeing in your physical reality. So, you know, I've even experienced that where I'll work on my subconscious thoughts, but I've got to shift my frequency. And I've had a few guests on my show, Masajati being one of them. And we talked about how we've got to shift that core frequency, because if we aren't doing that, then we can sit there and talk all day. And, you know, Neville Goddard has a technique. It's called the ladder technique where you visualize yourself going up and down a ladder. And then you actually write on a piece of paper, I will not climb the ladder. And I've actually been experimenting with this the past couple of weeks. And I tell you what, I was on a hike the other day in the middle of nowhere. And there was a ladder out in the middle of nowhere. And so really it shows you the power of your imagination and the power of your visualizations compared to, you know, words written down on a piece of paper and your thoughts around that, that, our imagination is so powerful and we've got to, you know, step back into that. You know, we are an image of God imagination, right? It's God's imagination. And so it's really diving deeper into where our thought, you know, where are our 
thoughts? What, what are we visualizing in our mind's eye? Because that's what we're projecting out into our physical reality eventually, because there is a little bit of a delay there sometimes. <laughs> yeah. And we could get into, you know, multiple realities or multiverse and timelines and all these different things. I mean, I've done, done a lot of study inside of uh, material, right. That hey, I, I'd say it's possible. I mean, the fact that uh, you know, coming from the the Kabbalion, you know, Hermeticism says that the all is mind and uh, the universe is mental, you know, and, and that the all isn't the universe. The all is just a part of the universe. And if we're just one thought, let's just say in that analogy of God and just us as human beings have something like 70 or 80,000 thoughts per day. I mean, how many different universes can we really start going out to? With that being said, to get more grounded, <laughs> uh, another another principle. Sorry, I took us on a whoop. Okay. <laughs> oh, it's okay because there was something that you talked about in a sense of you know that 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 primary vibration and um. So what we another principle we have is that we say that you're whole and complete, and this is probably one of the most difficult ones to accept because our our ego mind comes from lack. It is programmed for lack. And learning how to navigate as a as a whole and complete person, and when I say navigate, I mean actually like operating from that space, uh, comes from the awareness that I am both um, an animal and I am both divine. I am both unworthy and I am worthy. I am both uh, sad and I am happy. Uh, I like to use the yin and yang in this example of that we had uh, the yin and yang uh, we have a black side, we have a white side, and just staying with a basic, and then the entire thing is whole. Well, just as a brief example, if I have black and I have white, uh, and then I take away black, what do I have? White. Well, but there's nothing to compare it to. So what is oh, it? Oh, I got gotcha. you. I see where you're going with it. Okay. Mm -hmm. There's that, that duality isn't there. Right? In order it's, to it's... know what love feels like, you've got to experience what not being loved feels like. Yeah. Exactly. So if we took away black, we don't have white, we have nothing. So there's nothing there. So uh, if we have unworthiness and worthiness, right? And I take away unworthiness, well, then I take away the possibility for worthiness. So really it is all it is. So, you know, people get lost for it very much into the, the positive thinking aspect and like wanting to keep my vibration at a certain level, uh, except the fact that you were talking about the duality of the, the conscious and the subconscious, that consciously I can say that I'm worthy. And that's really when we're conscious, we're coming from our spirit and say that's true, uh, except for the subconscious program that's running in the background is is programmed for unworthiness. Uh, so if we if we can't, uh, accept our unworthiness, then again, we can't experience worthiness. So what I like to say is that the the learning how to be a whole person is to is to learn how to be the observer of such. Mm -hmm. So if I'm angry or if I'm frustrated or if I'm experiencing unworthiness, uh, I stop and I pause and I say, okay, this is what I'm experiencing. I'm experiencing being unworthy. And then I can move back into the observer and then through possibility, I can say, okay, well, I'm feeling unworthy. What's another possibility? Well, another possibility is that I'm infinitely worthy. Okay, then I can activate my free will choice and say, what do I choose? Well, I choose to be worthy. And then I'll move forward. So subconscious reprogramming has, in my opinion, gotten really convoluted. Um, there, there are valuable things that can happen, but ultimately your, your subconscious program was built in the present moment just sometime in the past in the present moment. And it's still being built in the present moment right now. Our subconscious is, is programming itself right now, you know, in this present moment. So yes, going back and doing inner child work is valuable. Yes, going back and, uh, you know, things that we regret and starting to find the lessons in those experiences and all these different things. 
But if we don't intentionally keep our mind aware and present and in choice and also um, conscious about uh, who we are and what we're doing and what we choose to feel, then all that work goes to nothing because the present moment is where this pre-program starts to happen from that point. And having these principles or having uh, a certain container, so to speak, that allows for you to be and explore inside of that space is really valuable for the subconscious remapping. Yeah, because you're changing it within the now moment. I mean, the subconscious is infinite. So you could be going, doing inner child work from past lives, infinite past lives back. And so, you know, just recognizing it in the now moment consciously and reprogramming it now i've been doing the same i'm not really going back um i was before but i think i've expanded a little bit to understand that everything is now everything is in this present moment mm -hmm. and uh we've had you know what 33 now moments you know <laughs> or no yeah. more than that <laughs> infinite now moments in this particular program and just understanding that we can shift at any time and it's our choice to to do so it's our choice to pick you know whichever parallel reality whichever path whichever timeline you choose and based off of your frequency and mm -hmm. you can do that at any given moment yeah yeah and, and again it, depending on the emotional intensity of the the past right i mean there's some trauma that's incredibly intense um that has distorted uh the mind and even more so created stories that a lot of times aren't true i mean anybody that's done trauma work you'll find that the story of the trauma is much different than the trauma itself um, and, and that, 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 that needs attention, you know, I mean, it needs time to go through the healing process of what it is. Uh, but for many of us, and, you know, again, I'm not trying to compare tra one trauma to the other or anything else. What I like to say is that if we really look at this in our natural state of being as unconditional love, then anything other than unconditional love is trauma. Mm -hmm, true. But with that, um, some of us, uh, create more trauma than is actually there. Mm -hmm. Uh, and again, that comes back to the mind and that comes back to the stories that we've told uh, and the fear that we experienced. So something that you said, you said, you know, at a very young age, you know, when we think about what creates our ego is that at a very young age, you know, we come to the world as close as we can as being divine beings and, and creating imagination, joy, wonderment, all these things. But at some point we experience fear. And then from that experience of fear, we create meaning out of that fear. So we create a belief about that fear. And typically the belief that we create is a belief in which we don't want to experience that fear again. Now, the reason why this is going straight into victim is that you're creating a belief from fear to not experience fear. And then a behavior comes forward that is then caused by fear. And then the ego takes that behavior, belief, and fear, and then creates the identity out of it. So as an example, uh, you could be, uh, there could be a child, they're on a playground, they go out of their mom's view, the mom can't find the child, mom gets, is, is afraid and freaks out, runs around, finds the child, comes up, the child says, don't run away, don't run away, I couldn't see you, a stranger might take you. So child experiences fear, child then takes on the belief of the parent and then creates its own meaning for that fear. Oh, if I go too far away from my mom, it's unsafe. So then what could possibly happen is that this 30 year old uh, adult now has never moved away from home. And the reason why they've never moved it, they might have a new story that says, well, I love living here. I love being around this area and everything else. 
not realizing that their reason they're not leaving home is really at a very deep level that they're afraid that they go too far away from the parents that they'll feel unsafe. Or abandonment, yeah. Mm -hmm. So this is the majority of our belief systems are initially created from fear. Because until we know what something is, and what I mean by this is that, you know, our mind is constantly identifying things. And at our lower state of consciousness is a consciousness I call a mystery. Uh, it's a state of fear where I don't know, but I need to know. Um, prior to coming on this call, I thought there was there's flowers in your background, right? And I, I think I called them lilies, but they're tulips, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. my, my mind was curious about this thing. I don't know what that is, but I need to know. Right now, interestingly enough, we don't think fear is driving the thing, but for I'm uncomfortable until I know what it is. So this lower level of mystery drives the identification to the perceiving, to the belief, to the behavior, to the feeling that locks in this experience. And again, at a very young age, I would say the majority, if not all of our beliefs are all driven by fear until we wake up from that fear, from that victimhood, and then say, okay, well, what is infinite? What is creation? And it's a, um, it's one of the most rewarding and also most painful processes a human being can go through. <laughs> you know? It is, it is. And, and fear can be uh, really programmed into us at a very, very, very young age, even maybe in the womb for that matter, you know? And so, uh, Zach, how can one, you know, we talked a little bit about the ego, how can one identify the ego voice and the God voice or the, the, the inner knowing the inner being, the higher self, the soul self, whatever you want to call it, how can you identify the difference between the two? Yeah. So this, uh, this has come to me recently. I, I, I started to realize that, um, you know, creating a lot of distinction and connections. So uh, the easy way to figure this out is to say, one, ego is from separation. So separation would ultimately say that um, I am, I, I'm, I'm not these things. I'm not other people. I'm not uh, God. I'm not these things. So the, the separation uh, through this process uh, creates a misperception of inequality. It creates a hierarchical stance of judgment. Um, so you can think about whenever the ego is judging you to be bad or good or right or wrong or whatever these things are, that that's actually the ego coming from a stance of righteousness. It wants to be right that you're either right or it wants to be right that you're wrong. And if you're wrong, what does that say about you? It means you're not good enough, right? So there's this whole thing that comes through. And then uh, there's a driver to it, which is fear. Now, I wanted to say that because that's some simplicity to it that you could say the ego is always identifying, the mind is identifying, the mind is in fear, and the mind is separating itself from all other things. But as I've driven deeper into this, I've started to realize that really the ego is the character that we play. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So the ego isn't just a mind, uh, although the mind is a part of it. Uh, it's also the mind and the body 
together. So if you think about what the body's deepest fear is, it would be to die. So survival is, is of the body. And the mind is identifying and protecting survival. So if you put those two things together where you can think about all your fears, if you think about being fear of unworthy, it's unworthy of living the life I want to live. Life and death is hinged on almost all fears if you were to stretch them out. If I'm afraid to be alone, I'm afraid to be alone when I die, right? Yeah. If I'm afraid I'm abandoned, it's the same thing. So if you stretch out to the extreme of it, it's all life or death. So if you take that from the body and then the mind's identification to try and protect it from fear, from fear, now we've created this whole uh, person, uh, this animal. So I'm, an, I'm in an animal. So I say that because now if I say, okay, I'm in an animal, you know, just think about the movie Avatar, mm -hmm. right? Consciousness goes into a new avatar, now it works. If I'm in an avatar, then there must be something else that is driving the ship, mm -hmm. right? And then that's where the soul starts coming forward, where we have mind, body, spirit, mind, body, soul, whatever we want to say. Um, and the soul is coming from a place of wholeness and worthiness and love and equality um, and capability and courage. All these higher level um emotions or frequencies that we can experience is coming from the heart i said it's the heart area so to to make it simple again because I, I had a couple of realizations through my own process you can identify your ego mind by being the voice of uh, judgment uh being the voice of doubt and also coming from a place of fear like these are the really the three that you can actually look at and say okay if i'm scanning and observing my mind if i'm experiencing these things it's not real it's just my ego trying to uh, convince me of something that isn't true. Absolutely. And I've had these dialogues with my ego. It's like this inside of my, you know, my head, like, okay, calm down. Everything's going to be okay. This is not, you know, reality. This is the illusion. And, uh, you know, I, I, I've had several near-death experiences on my show. Myself have had a near-death experience and I witnessed thousands of deaths. I was at the bedside of many people crossing over. And so, uh, you know, you, you talked about uh, how fear is attached to, to death. Oftentimes it is many people I work with, they, we, we dig down deep into the layers of the onion and we find out there's a fear around death oftentimes. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, just understanding that we're in, we're energy in motion and there's a trans, there's a transition that takes place. And I've had, I've done a show on, you know, overcoming the fear of death, but fear can be so deeply ingrained in us. And oftentimes it's, it's, it's a root. It's one of those root emotions. And as we begin to kind of scale back to, uh, you know, why am I, you know, feeling hurt? Why am I feeling whatever emotion you may be feeling? Oftentimes, the deep, deep, deep emotion is fear. And so, you know, just having a knowledge of that, that the ego is the one who is in there kind of placing that because, you know, our divine self, there is no fear because it, we know on a deep, deep level that there's nothing to fear. Right. But yeah. here in this, um, reality, this third dimensional reality, fear, I think it fears a part of the game. It's part of the game that we are learning to overcome as a part of the matrix. Yeah. And, uh, you know, when you see kids that are fearless, 
you just see them enjoy. They're in these higher frequency states, right? And so us as adults are just learning um, as we go through our lives. You know, many, many are learning younger now. I think as these kids come in, they're holding that frequency of, uh-uh, I'm not going to fear that, you know, where many of us like myself had to overcome that, you know, throughout many years of programming. And so I'm glad that you brought that up because it's so important uh, to, to figure out where are your fears, you know, where do your fears lie and yeah. how deep do they go? Well, and the other thing is the, you know, just from my perspective or what I've experienced is that, you know, fear is an experience it's, it's, um, what we make meaning out of that experience is, is what it becomes attached to. So, uh, you know, there are people that are afraid of rain, you know, and I would look at somebody that's afraid of rain and I'm like, that's ridiculous. Like <laughs> I might, might chuckle at it a little, little bit. Uh, but then, well, why are you afraid of being unworthy? And why can't we just chuckle at that in the same way that we would chuckle at the fear of rain? Because ultimately that's all it is. It's just a story. To be, mm -hmm. It's a cosmic joke. But fear is a necessary experience. If I wasn't to have fear, then how do I know what courage is, right? So I can experience fear and then I can choose how to move forward. I can choose to be a coward or I can choose to be courageous. And there's different degrees that I can polarize to in between all between there, depending on what it is. Um, and it's it's wild, really, when we think about the stories that we tell as well. I mean, I, I work with a lot of entrepreneurs or leaders that, you know, have big dreams. And um, I like to use this example. So like, let's say your biggest dream is to uh, sing on stage naked in front of a hundred thousand people. Right. And then it's like, well, what do I feel about that? Well, I'd be, for me, I'd be frightened. Right. Okay, cool. Well, that's one story. Now let's just say it's to sing on stage, uh, in front of 10 people. Well, now, now I can polarize a little bit more courageously. Well, now you don't have to be naked anymore. Now you're just singing inside of your bedroom, uh, in front of your family. Well, now I'm a little bit more courageous. Well, now you're singing uh, with a friend. It's not even acapella anymore. It's two music. Now I'm more courageous. So, the reason, why, <laughs> yeah. so the reason why I say that is that the story that we tell elicits a certain amount of intensity of fear. Uh, and the story isn't even true because it's not present. So when we, when I really start working with people, I'm, I start with like, what is the, what is the, the truest thing about that story that I just said, what is the most essential thing that somebody is doing inside of there? And after some work and everything, we'll come down to the point that they're just, they're simply vibrating their vocal cords. That's it. That's the simplest thing that is happening inside of that. And I was like, well, can you vibrate your vocal cords? They start talking. I'm like, there you go. You did it, right? Um, so that's really what the pathway to being more conscious is, is understanding that the illusions that we create in our mind, the stories that we create in our mind, elicit, elicit an emotional response for our body. And if we really want to move forward past fear, we get to the simplest thing of what's actually occurring and then focus our mind to understand that in this state of being, this is all that it actually is. And then take action from that space and start to see the results you want to have happen occur naturally, rather than feeling like they're forced through these stories and having to break through walls and barriers that ultimately we created. Yeah. And those stories just keep getting added onto and added onto, you know, over the years. And, you know, I've, I've said that to my clients when they, you know, they have this fear as a child. And oftentimes if us as adults go back to a primary school, what does it look like? The toilets are really small. The walls are really tiny. The sink is really small. 
you know, mm -hmm. our fears as a child could look really big, but when we go back and look at them as an adult, they could look really small or even obsolete for that matter. And so yeah. it's just really putting in, per, you know, like what you just said, putting it in perspective, you know, yeah. what stories have we told? How much have we elaborated on those stories and how big is that fear really? You know, how, how it could be the size of a mustard seed versus you know, we've made it huge, like a cantaloupe or something, you know, so it's really just going back and, and taking a look at it from a more um, higher awareness, I guess. And when we really get into it, you know, our studies have shown that we remember about 1% of our memories. And of the 1% of the memories we remember, we remember 1% of them exactly how they happened. So even going back and doing work and saying, oh, I want to try, you know, I, I have this story about something I regret. Let me go back to it. The story most likely isn't true. Yeah. <laughs> the lesson that you're going to extract from it might not even be the exact lesson, depending on how much you skewed the story to that certain extent. So it just brings us back to the present. Mm -hmm. It just brings us back to the realization that, okay, I regret doing this one thing. And what I regret doing is just the different polarity of what I can choose to do moving forward. If I regretted leaving that relationship too early or too late, then what do I do when I move forward? Well, maybe I listen to my intuition. And when my intuition is telling me something's not right, I don't hold on to it anymore. Maybe it's that simple. But they did a whole study with 9-11 participants and they interviewed 10 people right after 9-11 happened. And then 10 years later, they interviewed the same 10 people and all 10 people had a different story. They even showed the 10 people what they said in the, the initial time right after it. And they said, no, that wasn't correct. My story is correct now, 10 wow, years later. Interesting. So this is also why memory doesn't hold up in court because this is not an objective. <laughs> Especially or valid when you're in a state thing. of fear, you don't remember anything usually. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so, Zach, we've got a little bit of time left, and I know that you've created seven simple rules to eliminate victimhood in your life, and I'd like for you to briefly go over those if we have enough yeah. time today to to go into, you know, to dive into them. Yeah, so I've, I've alluded to a few of them. I talked about there are no accidents and that you're whole and complete. Uh, another one that is very important is to be your word. So this is integrity. Uh, when I think about integrity, I think about the integrity of a bridge, as in if I'm going to drive my car across the bridge, I want to know that the bridge is going to hold me up. I want to know that I can count on the bridge. Uh, also, integrity, when we look at a definition that I really like, it's a state of being whole and undivided, so it supports wholeness. Um, when I'm working with anybody, you know, integrity is normally the biggest thing that is that is missing. And what I mean by this is that uh, if we were to think about how, like, let's just use a, a Bible verse, John 1, 1, and I'm going to paraphrase it, uh, where he says, in the beginning, there was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. Essentially, God said, let there be light, and there was light. He didn't say, let there be light, but only if this. He didn't say, let there be light, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay home today, and it'll be light tomorrow. <laughs> Right. So, I mean, we are creators and there is a direct pathway to understanding that what we say and what we commit to, we create and what we commit to, we always create. So if I commit to doing something, if, if I want to go to, uh, you know, an event, let's say, I say, yeah, I'm going to go. And I tell my friends I'm going to go. And then the day of the event, I'm like, you know, what? I'm pretty tired today. Like, I'll go to the next one. Uh, well, what it, what result did I create? Well, I created getting the result from the excuse of not going to it. So in our lives, we commit to things. 
And then we end up succumbing to our reasons and our circumstances and our excuses on why we don't actually follow through that commitment. And then we don't get the results we want. Now you can come up with really good excuses and they'll make you feel better temporarily, but long-term you suffer. So it's just a trick that the mind is putting on you to subjectify an excuse. And really the excuse is the problem. So when I think about integrity, I think about wholeness. I think about if I can count on somebody. And I also think about that Bible verse because it says, if I say it is, then so it is. But a lot of us don't operate that way. A lot of us operate to say, if I say it is, it might be unless this. And all of those things tear us away from what it actually is. So be your word is one of the, the rules. Another rule is the defer is, is you are 100% responsibility for your, for your choices and your life experiences. And there's a lot of different ways that we defer responsibility and victim consciousness shows up, but we have blaming and complaining being the primary two. Uh, we have judgment. And when I say judgment, I mean judging in a way in which we are projecting our own insecurities and guilt out onto the world. Uh, so when we're judging others as being, um, you know, whatever our insecurity are, if we judge other people as not as good as they actually are, it's ultimately because we've judged ourselves to be lesser than. So because in some way we judge ourselves to be lesser than, we then look outward and judge other people to be lesser than uh, so that we can feel equal to them. Or we can compare it's ourselves. A, it's yeah. a misperception of inequality. And through that whole illusion, the problem is, is that the, the, the true nature of equality is that we're all infinitely powerful and infinitely valuable. So whenever the ego judges you as lesser than and you want to judge somebody else as lesser than, it's doing nothing except for, again, making you temporarily feel better. Mm -hmm. So those are a couple of ways that that shows up. When we move into it even further, the next rule I call it, you don't know what you don't know. And, and where we're starting to realize it's probably not a lot. <laughs> I, I, know, I realize that every day. <laughs> the older I get, the more I realize that, you know, I do I these know shows. <laughs> so, you know, you've got, you, you've got the things that, you know, you know, and those are typically from the experiences that you've had. We say that knowledge only comes through experience anyways. Then you've got the things that you know, that you don't know. You know, I, I don't, I'm not a real estate agent, so I don't know what it's like to be a real estate agent. I know I don't know what a real estate agent is or how to be one. And then you got the things that you don't know that you don't know. And that is vast. You know, I'm in Austin, Texas. If I was looking at a map, I could zoom out of Austin, Texas, and I could see Austin, Texas on the map of the U.S., then Austin, Texas on the world. And then I could look at where the world is in the Milky Way galaxy. And we're just like a little speck of dust on the outer handle of it. And then you can zoom out and look at the Hubble telescope. And every single speck on the Hubble telescope is a galaxy. I don't know anything. So I like to call this the ultimate ego killer. And a lot of people that I work with, they're leaders and they're founders. And they, I know, I know, I know, I know what I'm supposed to be doing. And I'm like, look, like the only reason why you're here with me right now is that you think you know something, but what you know is causing you pain. So uh, here's an example for this. Um, there is a, a study with rats and cheese. And uh, there was four tunnels to the cheese. And so the, the god in the white lab coat, he puts uh, the cheese down the, uh, the, the fourth tunnel. And they let the rat out. The rat goes down the first tunnel, no cheese. Second tunnel, no cheese. Third tunnel, no cheese. Fourth tunnel finds cheese. Comes back out. So the, <laughs> the, 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 the scientist keeps putting uh, the cheese on the fourth tunnel and keeps going through. Well, eventually the scientist moves it to the first tunnel. Well, the rat goes down the fourth tunnel, comes out, no cheese. Goes back down the fourth tunnel, comes out, no cheese. Well, eventually the rat goes third tunnel, second tunnel, first tunnel, finds the cheese. 
Now, the difference between a rat and a human being is that a rat doesn't have a belief system. A rat just goes after what they want. And a human being, a human being will start to believe in the fourth tunnel. So because they believe the fourth tunnel is correct, they'll keep going down the fourth tunnel, even though they're not getting cheese. And they'll keep going down the fourth tunnel and keep going down the fourth tunnel. So this is where this rule comes into play. <laughs> Say, look, like most people would rather be right and suffer than wrong and free. You'd rather be right about the results you get than actually get the results that you want to get. And this is where a lot of people suffer, especially high achievers that want to experience and want to have this grandiose vision of what they want to do with the world. Um, but they forget that they're not actually in control of that occurring. They're simply a, uh, what we would call it, a channel. We'd call it a channel of, of, of source or whatever else that's coming through. I mean, one of the most difficult parts about awakening is that the mind then starts to question itself and doesn't identify with this new way of being. Well, that's because the mind's not who you are, but the mind is who you think you are. So when this new thing comes forward, they're like, well, I'm out of control. It's like something else is like controlling me. And uh, no, dissonance, yeah. <laughs> it's just it's just your spirit is actually the one that's pushing the that's driving the ship now and not your mind. So but your mind, that's the duality. The mind's like, wait a second, this isn't me. Well, actually it is you, but it's not you mind. It's it's who I actually am. So that's another one. Uh the last two they go together. Um, so I say that the only way out is through. Meaning that the only way to get out of somebody's suffering is to uh, experience it and go through it and being willing to it because what you resist will persist. So what you resist will persist is what goes with it. And this is what happens when we project out insecurities onto others. We resist looking at ourselves. So we project it out. When we wake up the next day, what do we feel? Insecure. So then we project it out. We wake up the next day. What do we feel? Insecure. Yeah. It, it's it's a constant thing of resisting wanting to feel a certain way and choosing to want to feel it another way. But then we're not actually integrating the way that we feel to understand it. So we're living in the duality of I'm worthy, but I'm feeling unworthy. I'm worthy, but I'm feeling unworthy. So this just goes back to what I was talking about before, which I was actually explaining mental alchemy. Where if I experience myself as being unworthy and worthy in the wholeness of it, and I allow myself to experience unworthiness, and then I choose worthiness, then I move forward. And what this does is that it takes away from unworthiness running in the background. So just as a simple example, if I were to stretch this out 30 days, and let's say for 30 days, I have a underlying feeling of unworthiness, but I poke my head up four times during that time and say, I'm worthy. And then I do something from that space. Well, the majority of the time I'm running an unworthiness program, what am I going to attract vibrationally? I'm going to attract experiences that validate my unworthiness. And it's painful because, well, I feel like I'm worthy. But if I start to take that background program and I bring it forward into my being and then I see it and I'm conscious with it and I choose differently, well, maybe over the next month now I'm 50% unworthy and 50% worthy. As I continue to do this in my present moment with this mental alchemy, maybe I go to 75, 25, maybe I go to 90, 10. I, will, I don't believe I will ever eradicate unworthiness because what have I talked about? But if I was at first 90% unworthy and 10% worthy, and now I'm 9% worthy and 10% not, then the experiences that I start attracting into my life start to be the ones that I actually want rather than what I don't want. Yeah. So it's all about that harmonization because that unworthiness needs to be there for the sake of duality. Like we talked about the dark and the light, you know, earlier. So, but it's all about 
the balance of it, right? And trying to find, you know, what which emotion do I want? You know, which emotion do I want to focus on? And it doesn't have to be the 90% unworthiness, 10% worthiness. Let's flip that, you know? Yeah. And, and again, as a, as a simplified version of this is just, if you just say, okay, I'm all things. I, I, I'm guilty. I'm joyful. I'm angry. I'm sad. I'm whole. I'm 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 not whole. I'm like I'm all these things. I'm all these perceptions. I'm everything. Well, then you become the most powerful that you can be because now you can see it all and just choose. And our free will choice activates our creative power. So if I see everything and say, "Here's the menu," and I want this today, okay, I'm going to choose this, and now I'm going to experience this. But when I don't know what the menu is, then I don't know what I'm choosing. And then that's where the chaos starts to happen, where it's like, I'm trying to do one thing, but I'm experiencing this other thing and I'm not having the thing that I want and all this stuff. It just, it just becomes um, debilitating. Yeah. yeah. And it's, Very it's like often. a buffet, you know, you, you go through a buffet, you don't say, I don't want that. I don't want that. I don't want that. I want that. You go through a buffet and say, I want a little bit of this. I'm going to try a little bit of this. I'm going to try a little bit of that. And you're creating your reality through your choices and what emotions that you want to experience in this, in this physical reality. Yeah. Yeah. And then our free will is, is the, uh, you know, there's, there's two expressions of oneness that we all experience. One is observer that we as human beings all have the ability to observe. Uh, and then second is free will that we as human beings are all born with free will. So uh, one could infer that, you know, God or the divine uh, has these two qualities that it observes and it chooses. Um, and that, again, we're just a minuscule version of that. And that's something that is endowed to us uh, by our creator, which is our ability to observe and to choose and observe and to choose. Um, and again, that's just where we are most powerful because we are connected uh, to our soul. Our soul is what chooses. Uh, in the beginning, our mind chooses because we're not aware that we have free will choice. Um, you know, I was on a podcast earlier and I uh, the gentleman was talking about like when we're children, we don't have a choice. And that's not actually true. Like what's actually true is that you're born with free will choice. You're just not aware that you have a choice. Um, so I, I was just, we were talking about victim consciousness on that one as well. It's like, honestly, that's a form of victim consciousness. Because if you say, I don't have a choice that I took on my parents' beliefs, what are you doing? Ultimately, you're blaming your parents. My parents fault that I'm this way. Something outside of you. Yeah. Right. So now I'm victimized by my upbringing. I'm victimized. I'm victimized by victimized, which ultimately, when you really come to a place of awareness, you say, without my upbringing, without, without going down the journey of understanding who I'm not, I can't find who I am. So the whole upbringing is about finding out who I'm not. And the contrast, yeah. Mm -hmm. So I can discover who I am. And some people experience more pain than others. I experienced 16 years of porn addiction, two years of drug addiction, and a divorce before I woke up. And it was hell on earth. So we all have our own stories of suffering, but suffering is the same throughout. It's, it feels the same. All human beings feel the same when we suffer. And we all feel the same when we have joy. Uh, it's what do we choose the, to, to experience these things? What pathway are we taking? Are we open to the possibility that our suffering is a pathway to joy? Absolutely. And it's that, that dominant vibration that we're putting out. Yeah. So Zach, those were powerful. That was awesome. Thank you for going through all of those. And uh, I know we've got to wrap up the show here. So can you share, you know, with the listeners, some of the services that you provide and how people can connect with you? 
Yeah, so um, I have a four-month personal freedom program. Uh, it's mainly for leaders, but when I say leaders, I work with CEOs, entrepreneurs, uh, executives. I also work with people who want to lead themselves. So, you know, it, it doesn't just kind of lead in. It's uh, personal autonomy as well. Um, that program is called Involution X. Uh, so that's something that people can check out, www.involutionx.com. Uh, I also run a three-day transformation experience, transformation training. Uh, it's an experiential training in which for the three days we've designed experiences for our participants to show up in. And it collapses time on spiritual evolution, personal development, whatever you want to call it, uh, literally decades into three days. Um, and we call that the journey to nobody. Uh, so uh, that is a consciousness uh, training um, that a lot of leaders go through, but it really helps with remembering who you truly are, remembering that inner child and the essence of who you are. Uh, and then we run a couple of different other experiences that we do here and there with breathwork and meditation, things like that. But those two primary ones are the ones that are uh, really pushing forward these days. That's great. And so where can people find these programs? Yeah. Uh, so the Journey of Nobody is www.journeynobody.com. The Involution X, I think I gave the .com. Uh, you can also find me on all my social medias, at Zach Blakeney. Uh, nobody has my name. So uh, there'll be a, a link in my bio that you can explore these things as well. And uh, you're welcome to reach out to me, send me a DM, ask me questions. I'm an open book. Uh, I'm not going to withhold anything. So uh, any deeper understanding or any questions or anything like that, just know that all is welcome. Great. Well, thank you, Zach. I really appreciate you coming on the show today and sharing all of your knowledge and wisdom about this. And I know this isn't uh, always a difficult topic to talk about, but it's very necessary and very needed in society today. So thank you so much for all that you're doing in the world and shining your light real bright, because I can tell that you are. <laughs> it's my honor, Tanya. Thank you. You deserve to navigate your life in alignment with health, happiness, and abundance. To learn more about the services that I provide, including Beyond Quantum Healing Hypnosis, EFT Tapping, and The Emotion Code, visit my website at www.theexistentialempath.com.